Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we're welcoming Mark Saltzman to the show. Mark is a technology evangelist, freelance journalist, author, broadcaster, speaker, and content creator with over 25 years of experience. Mark specializes in consumer electronics, online technology, business tech, interactive entertainment, and future trends. Mark leads a radio show called Tech It Out, where he makes sense of our fast-paced digital world. You may also recognize Mark as the host of Tech Impact on Bloomberg TV. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Shelley and Patrick. Uh, great to be your guest. I'm, I'm excited. Mark, if you don't mind, please share with our listeners a little bit about your background the show, Tech Impact, and and what you're doing with your time and, and what you're doing out there as a visionary. Yeah, thanks again for that uh, lovely intro, by the way. So yeah, so as Shelly said, for the past quarter century, <laughs> gulp, uh, I've been, I, I do call myself a technology evangelist, a bit cheeky, of course, but I, I like preaching about the benefits of tech and how it can enhance and enrich your life, both personally and professionally. And I am a firm believer that tech does overhaul every industry for the better, for the most part. So my day-to-day gig is I'm a freelance writer. And you know I really like when um, I my articles can resonate with regular folks who may not be so techie. My catchphrase, if you will, is that I like to break down geek speak into street speak. Hmm. And uh, that's what I try to do on Tech It Out, by the way. Yes, it's a podcast. And those who subscribe to Tech It Out obviously are interested in tech enough to subscribe and listen every week. But the first run is on over you know 100 stations uh, across the country. So people just listening in their car to their local talk radio station, I want to make it as appealing and understandable to them as well. So I do sort of cover everything from gaming to apps to automotive tech, which I think we're going to touch on today, to where we're going with automation and you know the robotics and the metaverse and all that. So I, I've been having a lot of fun. Tech, as you know, evolves so rapidly. So the the 25 plus years I've been doing this feel like a hundred. It's like <laughs> dog years, you know, it's like, but uh, yeah. And then finally, Tech Impact is the show that you mentioned. Thank you. It does air on uh, Bloomberg Television and Fox Business. It's a 30 minute tech business show primarily, even though I'm mostly a consumer tech guy, it does veer more into sort of business tech. So some, you know, compelling software and applications and platforms and stacks that really could empower businesses. So that's the, the the theme of that particular show. But most of my writing for USA Today and Costco Magazine and AARP for seniors, Yahoo, MSN, this is mostly, it's mostly consumer tech. Very interesting. I think the overlap between business and consumer tech is right. It used to be maybe 10% overlap. I think when I got out of school in 96, uh, I think it's inverted at this point, right? Almost the expectation is professionally, you should support what used to only be like, oh, that's, you know, a, and not something you would use in a business. Yeah, fair, fair. I think the whole BYOD, let's call it a movement about 10, 15 years ago, I think that really did usher in a new time where we were looking to one device to service double duty, right? Something for your nine to five work life and your five to nine downtime, whether it's a smartphone or a laptop, you know, it's that same device that you would uh, 
you know, analyze spreadsheets and crank out a report is the same device you would use to stream Netflix and play a game, play a game <laughs> for better or for worse, you know, much to the chagrin of the uh, IT department that has to service this and secure these uh, platforms. That's a whole other conversation altogether, but that's, you know, that's just, I guess, human behavior is instead of like, you know, putting away the Blackberry and reaching for your iPhone to play Candy Crush, you want that same device to do both. Right. So. It is amazing that that all occurred at the same time. The death of the BlackBerry, the the rise of the iPhone, and uh, BYOD. Right. Hey, look, I'm a I'm a red blooded Canadian, but uh, BlackBerry they they dropped the ball because they thought people wanted a single use device. Right. Messaging. Yeah. Secure messaging. That's that was their bread. Right. That was their bread and butter, and you know, arguably more secure than other platforms. Certainly Android, but um, you know, people wanted an iPhone. They wanted a digital Swiss Army knife. Yeah, they want. They wanted one thing that did it all, right? I see the appeal in that. Absolutely, and uh, as a as a red blooded Chicago and Motorola used to be pretty prevalent in that space too, and uh, they took a pretty good head kicking of yeah quality was their angle, right? With six sigma and things like that, and again missed the mark on you know what the business consumer and what the actual straight up consumer wanted was yep. the same thing and. And uh, I, I say this all the time, if if Microsoft tried to do what Apple and Google did in like 2000, 2010, right, uh, actually was scanning all of the data that they do, like if Microsoft was doing that in the 90s, there'd be congressional hearings, <laughs> yeah, right? There would have been an absolute uproar. But <laughs> for some reason, you say you do no evil and apparently everybody forgives you. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm not going to go there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go there. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that's fine. It's my opinion. No, no. Hey, I'm a, I'm a Microsoft customer, actually. So it's all good. I just, I think the point to your, uh, what you're trying to make is that the product owners in some of these companies missed the mark on what the customer wanted. Right. Sure. They were dictating what we wanted rather than listening. Yeah. And in both those cases, Motorola and BlackBerry, uh, I think all of the CEOs, and I think they both had two CEOs at that point in time, and they both had very strong engineering backgrounds. Yep. And I think that might have been part of the the mistake of not understanding. Yeah. Lazaridis and Balsley. Yeah. It wasn't just their engineering backgrounds that they wanted to be the marketing director, like CMO. They wanted to be CIO, CTO. They were trying to wear too many hats, I think, instead of you know, delegating to competent people, but that's yeah. a whole other discussion. Yeah. Uh, rest in, rest in peace, BlackBerry. I mean, they're still around. They're, they're still, still around. around in some capacity, uh, software and services. I did an interview back then and somebody's like, Oh, we want to talk to you about the death of the BlackBerry. I'm like, it's not going to die. Nothing dies. Cobalt's still around. A lot of money made me on Cobalt, right? <laughs> yeah. there, it, it exists somewhere, right? Like, there's a Zune. When the Zune showed up in, in the movies, you're like, oh my goodness, I still have one of those, right? So the Zune, you know, I'm going to have to bing that because I've never heard of that device. <laughs> double double joke there, double joke. I yeah. got it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I, you'd be surprised how many times I look and somebody's using bing. What? I'm like, oh, it happens all the time where you're just like. And, oh, uh, you're that person. I don't do it. <laughs> no, no. Like the one person that's doing it. Yeah. Oh, you're the one. You're the I'm one. like, are you seriously dealing with these inferior results? Like, are you yeah. good with this? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Well, excited having you on the show. And I know one of the, the topics that we wanted to get your, your thoughts on your experience, especially around innovation and, and the adoption of technology, obviously the sad news and, you know, the, the passing of the queen, you've got some very interesting background and experience and research uh, involving 
you know, maybe some things people wouldn't understand about the queen. I heard a funny story the other day where somebody was uh, her bodyguard was telling the story that they were traveling in New York and uh, some people didn't recognize her and like, you know, was talking to her bodyguard and found out that he's he's British and was asked the queen to take a picture of them together. <laughs> and so, and she went with it. I was going to say, she probably knew how, Yeah, you know, despite many 96 year olds out there. Well, and that was the killer part. And the, the bodyguards joke was uh, at some point they did take a picture with everybody. And he was like, I was, I would really just pay a million dollars to be in the room when somebody's like, you took a picture with who? Right? <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. So not only did she use technology on her, uh, on the throne seven decades but even before then in fact during the second world war she as a princess she lobbied her father to allow her to serve her country with the uh it was called the women's auxiliary territorial service basically it was a branch of the british army where she became uh, a driver and then trained in auto mechanics you know she's like working on engines right that was a, a rare sight for a woman to be doing that back in the day let alone the future queen and then you fast forward to 1953, the Queen's coronation, which did coincide with the popularity, the growing popularity of television worldwide. She allowed the BBC to broadcast the event and it was live too. So lots of room for, you know, that's scary, right? So 20 million people worldwide watched the broadcast and uh, she was the first royal to to embrace TV. And in fact, that coronation was credited with catapulting TV into the mainstream, certainly in, in Europe, uh, but I would argue to some degree in North America as well. So big deal. And then again, over the years in 1956, the Queen Elizabeth II opened the world's first full-scale nuclear power station. A decade later, she met some Soviet cosmonauts in early 69, and then later in 69 recorded a goodwill message that was left on the moon by the Apollo 11 astronauts. So, you know, and then it goes on. She was uh, one of the first to ride the channel. That's the channel tunnel, that undersea railway that links uh, the UK to the rest of Europe. She delivered one of her traditional Christmas day messages in 3D. She used Instagram to communicate with people. Even until 2022, when she had a virtual lunch with Paddington Bear. It was all computer generated that we've been seeing a lot now since her passing and all the tributes that she always had fun, you know, with, with 007 10 years ago and then Paddington Bear, that was all computer generated. But she used Zoom like many other, um, you know, heads of state, obviously to communicate with her people and assure them during the pandemic that brighter days were ahead. And then finally, while many of us listening to your podcast didn't send our first email to probably the early 90s. The Queen did it in 76. It was an engagement at a military base in the UK using ARPANET, which is, of course, the predecessor to the internet. And she, you know, that marks the first royal to send an email. So throughout her seven decades, she not only, you know, sort of acknowledged this technological revolution that she must have witnessed since, uh, you know, since her uh, time on the throne, but also embraced it in a big way. It is amazing to think what a transformation she's witnessed, right? Mm -hmm. You know, going from pretty much uh, cars becoming a common occurrence, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. To where we're at now. It's amazing to think that she stayed as current and, and up yeah. to date. I don't want to oversell Instagram, 
but you know, as a guy who doesn't use it, I am impressed to think that the the Queen of England was yeah was that into social media. I don't think she used it to like take a picture of her uh, marmalade sandwich, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like you know, or whatever. That's uh, going back to that Paddington uh, yeah thing. But I, you know, I don't think she was a daily active user, but she did. She, people would say to her, this is a, you know, this is a, a trendy social media platform with X amount of millions of, you know, UK and, and all the Commonwealth countries. They all use it. So like that was a, a, a smart way for her to reach people. So yeah, it was neat as a technologist. It was fun to research the the kind of support that she gave to this industry. You know, it's great. It is. It's very interesting stuff. And it's it's a good time to like pause and think about where will we all be when we're her age, right? What's <laughs> what's the world gonna look like? And are we gonna be as willing to embrace and adopt technology? Yeah. The metaverse. The metaverse. No, no. I say that kind of half tongue in cheek because that's all the buzz these days, but we'll see. <laughs> so what's uh what's the biggest thing on your mind right now what do you think is uh, not the metaverse obviously but uh what other yeah so well yeah the metaverse will come in some way shape or form it may not be the way that zuckerberg thinks we're going to use it but i think this fusion of the physical and the digital is a natural sort of progression if you will uh and and fusion that we're going to witness uh, as uh you know, just coming out of the North American International Auto Show, the Detroit Auto Show this week, two things are painfully clear about the near future of the automotive space. That is automation and electrification. So I'm following that quite a bit. I'm finding I'm getting a lot of messages from my readers, uh, as well as listeners um, and viewers about EVs. So electric vehicles seems to be I think we're on the the cusp of a of a major shift. Maybe it's because of the price that we've been paying for gas this year or Biden, you know, his administration has been, you know, he he's touting his administration as being pretty bullish on tax credits and you know, the whatever the reason there's more selection. There's lots of advantages to an electric vehicle. I know some of your listeners right now don't want anything to do with it. And that's fair. It's, you know, it's not a one size fits all scenario, but there's lots of advantages. You never have to pay for gas again. Um, there's fewer maintenance costs as well, like no oil changes. There's uh, no tailpipe emissions, even though the question remains, what do you do with the battery when it's no longer functional? So it may not be the perfect environmental device, but certainly better than, a combustion engine in that regard. It's a quieter ride. It's got fast pickup or torque. Like, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to an EV. So the, there seems to be a lot of interest there. Shelly, what about you? Do you drive an electric vehicle? Would you ever consider driving one? I do have an electric vehicle, yeah. Ah, see, preaching to the choir. <laughs> what about you, Patrick? Uh I travel distances and uh, it's not really something that really fits. So we got five kids. And so yeah. oh, I wow. was holding out for a little bit more on the, the, you know, the SUV side of things. Yeah. The range is getting there. Yeah. I hear you. But even then it, it just, it, I've been, the cyber truck has been on pause for going on three years. And yeah. so when it first was announced, I was super excited about it. Right. Uh, but as as this continues of like, okay, so is this going to happen or not? Don't get me wrong. The the wife is absolutely against it. 
She's like, why would you ever want that? I'm like, the apocalypse, of course, right? Because like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like uh, Mad Max. It looks totally. like something right out of a Mad Max movie. I don't even remember the bad movie from like 82, 83, Damnation <laughs> Alley. I was going to say Thunderdome, but that was no, that, around the same time, wasn't it? Yeah, but Damnation Alley, they had this really ugly truck that they had to, like their post-apocalyptic. Yeah, anyway, so... It's uh, it kind of looks like it. So that was that's part of it. So, <laughs> yeah. So, look, range anxiety is probably the number one reason why people don't want an EV. And you've already hinted at that is that you said I do a lot of driving. Uh, so, it's, well, if you actually mentioned two obstacles. One is that you have a large family. The other one is that you don't want to run out of electricity before you reach your destination. Right. So uh, dealing with that second issue first, it is true that uh range is extending that right now the average ev range is about 260 miles on a full charge so that's fine for most people you might think well eh, you know but for your daily commute your grocery run taking the kids to and from school going to the mall picking up your dry cleaning whatever you do that's going to be fine for several days and then like many americans you're going to park it in a, a garage or carport and you're going to have a charger there. In in many cases, EV makers are adding as extra incentive to buy an EV free installation of a 240 volt charging station in your garage. Yeah, it's harder if you have a if you live in an apartment or in a condo. It's a bit more challenging. But 80 to 90 percent of EV owners charge up at home. The other 10 to 15 percent or so, 20 percent at most, charge up at work if you're lucky enough to have a charging station at the office, or they use public charger stations around the country. And there are more and more and more of them, which is good, right? Um, and level three or fast or DC fast charging, where you can charge up from you know zero to 85 to 90% in as low as 25 minutes, 25 to 45 minutes. So you grab a coffee and whatever. But the, the appeal I think is not having to pay for gas. It's a great ride. I love the pickup. I remember the first time I was in a Tesla, I was like, holy moly, I'm going to get a ticket on this freeway. Like I just let it rip without realizing it. We saw the the Ford F-150 Lightning is uh, starting to pick up now. The You talked about a utility vehicle, an SUV. So the Bolt, the Chevy Bolt EUV is coming out soon uh, and the Chevy Bolt EV. And they're not uh, expensive, right? The Chevy Bolt EV is 26K and the Bolt EUV is 28K to start as well. And that's, I think, three or 4,000 less than last year's model. And then there's the federal tax credits. I think it's about 7,500. So you don't have to break the bank on a six-figure Tesla if you don't want one. I know the F-150 can also be 100 on some of the models, but there's a lot of choice. Range anxiety is becoming a thing of the past. And uh, it's a it's a great ride. Like it's a, well, Shelly, you know. It is a great ride. It's amazing how fast it accelerates. Yeah. 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 But uh, I think that the Ford F-150 starts at 60K, but it can go all the way up depending on how you have it configured. I should yeah. clarify. No, I just, I think there's a, I think it's a less than 60 at the, at the entry level. Yeah. That's for the 240 mile one goes up to 320 and there's some extra. And, but if you're towing, this is a big caveat. If you are towing something, then it does decrease the battery life of considerably. Right. Just like frigid temperatures mm-hmm. where I live in in Canada, it can get pretty darn cold come, you know, November, December, January, February. So I'm in Toronto, by the way. In Vancouver, it's nice. Or it's maybe just rainy, but it doesn't get the snow or the the ice that we get in Toronto or Montreal. But um 
yeah, all of that will impact performance, as Shelly likely knows. You know, hot days, really cold days. If you've got the aircon cranked, yeah. every little bit takes a little bit off the battery. But uh, with the, the maturing of the infrastructure out there, more and more charging stations and uh, free, in many cases, charging station installed in your home. It's getting there. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. And then the other trend that I said, so there's electrification and then there's automation. So we're seeing a lot more um, semi-autonomous driving aids and we will go to fully autonomous one day when that will happen. Uh, rests on a number of things, including legislative or, or regulatory issues. But um, the technology is certainly getting there where your vehicle could literally take you from point A to point B with very little input from you as the driver or passenger really sitting behind the wheel. But like, I know there's the super cruise technology from GM that I've test driven a lot. It's getting really good uh, as is the Tesla autopilot, their FSD uh, beta there. So, I mean, it's got, there's some really good stuff. When do you, what's the expectation? Cause one of the things I, I love about Tesla is that they can sell what it's going to be, not what it currently is. It's a, it's a hell of a marketing strategy. And so like, there's a, there's a little bit of misperception when people don't have a Tesla, they do have the perception that that's already here and it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of a leap of faith where the existing hardware can do more than it can do today because of a software upgrade. Some of that is true, but those beta packages that you can pay for are not cheap. They're not perfect. Hence the word beta. And, um, at some point, they're going to say, okay, you can't do level four or level five, whatever autonomous driving until you have this model. So yeah, but you know, it's Elon Musk and um, he's got his uh, no shortage of followers, uh, fans. He makes, you know, he's he's no doubt a visionary. He's one of the, you know, I, I, I like how he thinks and the solutions that he invents, but um, we're not quite there yet to hop in your car because uh, you've had a few drinks and say, hey, take me home. <laughs> well, you can. It's just called Uber, right? Yeah, you gotta, exactly. <laughs> and you should, right? If you've had a couple of drinks, there's there's no reason. All kidding aside, things get really interesting when you think about autonomous vehicles and ride-sharing services together. You know, if you have an EV, let's say it's 2030, you live in Chicago, Patrick, and you your car drops you off at work, if you do work in an office, maybe you're at home with a headset, metaverse and all that. But let's say you're in the office, your car, why should it sit there idle in a parking lot all day unless you need it to be charged up? But otherwise, it can go and drive around people for you and you can benefit from that. It's extra money for you. And the people who don't drive or who don't have their own vehicle can benefit from getting picked up a la Uber or Lyft and then your car knows to pick you up at a certain time. So it won't take a fare at 448 because it knows that it needs to be at your, you know, wherever at 520 or whatever. So that's kind of neat. If you think about it, instead of it just sitting in your driveway, why not make money for you by picking up fares? Well, this is Chicago. So we have a ton of insurance companies here and I can tell you that is on their minds of, okay, so what was a very sedentary thing, right? You did, you drove your car very infrequently. And if that does occur, what is, what's the what's the insurance implications of yeah. now you're responsible for people who don't even live in your house? And if something happens in the car, what's the exposure to that, right? Not to put cold water on anything here because I, I love the concepts, but 
but there it, it there's serious financial implications to a lot of these things. There sure is. Car companies are afraid of fully autonomous vehicles because they don't want to be liable if someone is injured or killed at the wheel of one of these things. It's happened already. You'd also imagine less people would be buying cars too. Yep. I think so. Yep. But there's some misconceptions though that for fully autonomous vehicles to take off, they all have to be autonomous. That's never going to happen. It's always going to be a staggered thing. Um, but you know, just like we've talked about range anxiety being not a real concern, even though it is for many, uh, or driving in, you know, colder states and all that. It a lot of those are the myths that I try to bust. But another one is that, yeah, like for this to really work, every car has to talk to one another. That is a benefit to, you know, it's kind of the whole IoT thing or smart cities where the more the cars can talk to one another, it can say, hey, you're driving 45 uh, miles per hour right now, just ahead, there's an accident. So one vehicle is telling another vehicle, slow down because there's something coming up. So that, that I see the appeal in all that. Or reducing, you know, I'm sure Chicago traffic is as horrible as where I live in Toronto uh, or, you know, a city like LA where there's just so much congestion because of the population that the more the vehicles can talk to one another, the closer it can drive to one another, like near, like, like not even an inch apart in theory, but still get the speeds that you want because it puts a natural buffer between each vehicle because it knows they're all in sync. In other words, that it's not going to, you're not going to hit, you're not going to hit another vehicle because they're all talking, but that's, that's not for a long while. It'll still work without all that perfect scenario. Having lived in Chicago almost all my life, uh, yeah, lane density and speed and proximity. Don't get me wrong. We, 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 we can get pretty close already. Right. We need to get uh, uh, Musk to, <laughs> to create a Hyperloop under uh, Chicago. To well, they started. Make... They actually created uh, the junctions uh, and then mm-hmm. uh, the city and finances and things like that. So there's a, a metro line, uh, not metro, but uh, one of the CTA uh, L trains uh, needs to be replaced. So they were trying to build a Hyperloop from downtown to the airport. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Uh, just it, it got kicked off the, the uh, station downtown is built it's been covered in dust because it hasn't really just it didn't keep going right so the finances for that didn't didn't go through so it'll uh, get there we'll have electric planes up above we'll have these avtol uh you know vertical takeoff flying vehicles that we saw at the uh auto show we'll have delivery drones buzzing through the air bringing me like a sandwich and a bubble tea 30 minutes or less (laughs) We'll have the Hyperloop, subterranean Hyperloop solutions, and we'll have uh, automated vehicles on the road. So it'll it'll be pretty wild when it all happens. <laughs> Once we iron out the insurance uh, implications and the legislative hurdles, which are state by state, by the way, that's the part of the problem. So a quick question. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, when we talk about autonomous like trucks right talk about like the supply chain right and supply yep. chain challenges and if you know five six years ago a lot of people were like especially when it came to ai and automation people were like oh my goodness what are we going to do with all these truck drivers um there's a truck driver shortage that's like epidemic level and i know people are thinking oh it's going to figure itself out my contention and I'm, I'm i'm asking this i'm making a statement to get your opinion yeah is yeah. that um my contention is the more efficient, right? The drones that drop things off. Yes, there's slot factor and there's security issues and people are going to steal, right? That 
for gone, right? That's just always going to be part of it, right? From, you know, the Pony Express to to UPS to to Amazon able to open my garage door, right? Yep. There's always going to be that slop factor. My my contention is that the more efficient that the model is, it actually creates more what I would consider either whack jobs where it's like, hey, somebody's got to come and whack it into place or there's like that last mile of I got to get it to a door. I got to get it yeah. to a very non-defined final destination. So, And that's all valid. And that's all hopefully going to help ensure that humans still play a role in all of this. You bring up a very good point. And it would be remiss as a technology evangelist not to acknowledge that replacing people's jobs with machinery is that's that's not good in in you know in for, for what it is i'm not even going to say in one way i mean it's just not good i don't want to you know i i talked about evs on tv once in alberta canada where they rely on the oil and gas industry mm-hmm. very heavily right talk about the cojones to do that um thankfully <laughs> i didn't get a lot of hate mail but um you know look um I think it was the head of IBM's Watson department once said for every job that automation replaces, whether it's robotics or, you know, AI or whatever, uh, autonomous vehicles, autonomous trucks, this technological revolution will create on average four to five net new jobs for every one job it takes away. I'd like to believe that it's maybe a little too, it's a little too high. Maybe even if it was every one job it replaces it, it, creates one more job I'd be happy with, or two is, is fantastic, or three. But the idea is that people still have to service these machines. They have to program these machines. They have to, you know, there's software engineers that work on the user. It's just different jobs. Right. Or as you touched on, it, we're still going to need people uh, at maybe the last mile, just ensuring that there's no issues. Or if you order something from Amazon and you you know, you don't live in a rural area where it can just drop the the medicine off on your porch or, you know, you're a hamburger that you just bought, uh, that there will be some human involvement in some sort, you know, even these robots, by the way, that uh, deliver sandwiches and, and medicine and all that in cities, you might see these little robots on four wheels. Many of them you may not know about, you may not know this is that they are being driven or steered remotely by someone in front of a computer, like a video game. And they're looking through the the camera lens of that robot to drive down sidewalks and to obey traffic signals, like, you know, to only cross the road when it's green, that kind of thing. It's not all automated, even though they, these companies make it look like, they make it sound like, oh, yeah, we have these bots that do all it. It's not autonomous. It's interesting. So there's a, you know, so look, my point is that um, I don't want to see anybody losing a job, whether it's... Uh, somebody flipping burgers at a fast food joint all the way up to a surgeon who, you know, where a a machine may be able to replace that job, you know, an open heart uh, operation. The, The thing with EVs, by the way, or sorry, AVs, autonomous vehicles, is that the, the truth of the matter is the about 95% of all car accidents are caused by human error. So if you're willing to give technology, if you're willing to trust tech to some degree, and the, the, that stat drops significantly. And there's, it's not going to be perfect. There's, we've already seen some fatalities with, with autonomous vehicles in the testing of it. Um, that, you know, if the idea is that it has to, we all want to evolve and we want, you know, we want to get, uh, have a safer society. So that's the whole idea behind it all. But yeah, we don't want to see anyone lose jobs. There's always going to be, I hope, 
roles. They just may be different roles mm-hmm. than what we're seeing today. But I have faith. I have faith in humanity. <laughs> I'm an optimist. I, I do. I I think honestly, AI automation is absolutely a necessity. If you look at, I mean the population crisis that we're all facing with. I mean, that's not a controversial statement from a number standpoint. Uh, Automation is absolutely critical to even maintain the systems that we currently have. So uh, even forget improving, uh, you know, our existence or our experiences here in the current, just even to maintain them going forward. I mean, uh, we're looking at uh, some serious challenges and I think it's going to lead to some really healthy outcomes. And a lot of that is people are going to have to invest in humans way more than they have historically where it's like nah we only work with these people or we only engage people who have this type of education or have this type of background and the necessity to engage communities that historically had been either underrepresented or completely ignored Mm -hmm. is going to be a profitable and competitive advantage right and so even though automation is going to i think buffer some of that loss uh, but I mean, it's not controversial to to talk about the fact that like we are we have not been replacing ourselves, and our immigration policies uh, are not really solving that problem either. We are lucky though. We are, uh, you know, the United States, Canada are places people would like to move to, right? So we do have a very unique competitive advantage in that regard if we were able to exploit that advantage a little bit better. But Automation, from my perspective, is absolutely critical for us to to continue to to succeed. Yep, it's a it's a bad word for many, but you know, they or they envision you know a greedy sort of billionaire business owner thinking how they can improve efficiency and put keep more in their own pocket and let go of the little guy. I don't I don't see it all like that. Um, it's not that black and white. It's complicated. But yeah, shareholders and profits and all that plays a role in capitalism and, and adopting technology to shave off expenses or find, you know, do more in less with less in less time or with fewer people. But I'm optimistic that as you know, we just need to upskill or reskill perhaps, which is a scary thought for many, especially, you know, my age, but, um, you know, to try to anticipate where things are changing and encourage, uh, you know, the, the buzzword STEM, right. Science, technology, engineering, and math to try to get the, I've got three kids in college right now. And uh, only one of them is in computer science. So I hope my other two can find, you know, gainful employment uh, upon graduation. But uh, yeah, it's hopefully it'll all figure itself out. But I like what you said. Yeah. Thank you. Those There's plenty of jobs for everybody. Yeah. Hey, I wasn't a techie growing up. I was a drummer in a metal band and I fell into the tech world uh, in my 20s. So I was a late bloomer. I want to hear about that. Yeah, my experience is the the overlap of musician and software engineer. It's a high overlap. That those are pretty concentric circles. Of I've uh, heard that. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. How did you fall into that? Can we hear that story? Uh, sure. Yeah, if we've got the time and people are interested. Yeah. So I I did go to U- University of Toronto for four years studying psych. I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I took a psychology degree as an undergrad, um, four years, and then. Yeah, I wanted free video games. When I graduated, I had no idea I was going to be a, an author uh, or broadcaster, um, you know, or a techie at all because I didn't wasn't interested in tech growing up. But um, in my twenties, I kind of resented that I had to pay seventy dollars for a video game. It seemed like a lot of money to me, so I called companies and asked them to send me a free game. I told them I'd review it, 
and some did. And then they said, okay, well, where's your review now? And I'm like, oh, Oh yeah. Oh, so I had to, I called some local uh, publications that, uh, you know, back then you were at the mercy of a, a newspaper or a magazine letting you write, right? Now you can just do it on your own. You can have a blog, right? I I, I was at the mercy of radio station uh, program directors to put me on the air. Now you could just have a podcast. It was very different, right? I had to have TV stations willing to put me on the air instead of YouTube or Twitch. You get the idea. But uh, so I was lucky. I was able to convince an editor to let me write for her when I had no experience. Uh, but I reviewed games and then I'm like, oh, I got to keep the game and get paid. This is pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, that expanded into not just games, but other tech. And then it expanded from writing articles to hosting radio shows. Then I just got bigger and bigger gigs writing for first Canadian publications. Then I got a gig with USA Today. It's uh, my 24th anniversary with them in October. Uh, yeah. And then just getting bigger and bigger places. Then I started on TV and then got a gig with CNN as a freelance contributor in 2001 and just expanded from there. Yeah. So it's, it was really, I was lucky to turn my hobby into a career and uh, just learned on the job. I didn't go to J school, journalism school or uh, anything like that. So <laughs> yeah, it's fun. No looking back. It's been a lot of fun. That's awesome. You must be a big fan of, uh, Ready Player One. Yeah, you know, I really like the book. The movie was okay. I never read the book. I did hear great things about it. Yeah, the book is way better than the movie, like it usually is. But the, no, I think it was executive produced by Steven Spielberg. I mean, it was a great looking movie and it really captured the essence of living virtually in a in another world, whether it's for school or for work or for hanging out or for entertainment. Um, I love the whole 80s connection, which they really captured in the book with uh, arcade games and D&D and stuff like that. So I really like the book a lot. Ernest Klein, trying to remember who wrote it. So fantastic book if you haven't read it. Uh, but that, the movie was great. It really makes you think, yeah, this this is coming. You know, having a, an avatar representing you, virtual, you know, in a virtual space. It, it's definitely a matter of when, not if. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, uh, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy and we really appreciate you taking time to, to share your thoughts and your vision, your experience and everything that you, you do as an evangelist. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Shelly, so much. We also want to thank you, our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32. 